Okay, talk, talk, talk. There we go. Now it's on me. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's time for another wonderful episode of The Bill. Bird. Podcast. It never goes back to me. There big podcast, is. Big podcast with Dave Portnoy last week, Bill. Yeah, it wasn't. How about, uh, like, and then two days later, he was talking to the president. Yeah, why the fuck wouldn't he slide that in on us, you know? Give us the inside scoop. Well, because that's what makes him cool. What did you think? They had a, they had a, uh, they had a little meltdown over at, uh, at Barstool with Big Cat and, uh, and Dave just going like, I'm not running it by everyone. I'm going to see the president. It's such a fucked up thing that going to see the president all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all of a sudden like the president, I'm not, I know it's Donald Trump, but the president just divides everyone going, how dare you play golf with him, Brett Favre? And I'm not sure. Well, I, I think I think that the little that I saw, I thought Dan thought that they were getting used. They, yeah, and yeah, they, yeah. Um, and and Dan Katz thought that they yeah, were yeah. getting used. And it's like, hey man, we just make people laugh here. Blah blah blah. I don't want to get involved in that. And they sort of how it seemed the way he was presenting it was however they presented it to him was not the way it went down. So I wasn't there. I don't know. I'm sure they're going to survive, but uh, you would know, you, personally would... speaking, you know, I, I make up my own mind as far as who I'm going to vote for. So I don't think it hurts them. That I don't know. I didn't. I also I also didn't see it. I so so here's I just the hope that you know they they put it all behind them and they they keep cruising because I love that site. I do. I, I really do love that site, and I love those guys over there. What? Here's the question. Let's do let's do a three parter, okay? Uh, a three parter. A three-parter. You get offered to play golf with the president or, or fly helicopter. The president says, Bill, I'd like you to fly me in a helicopter. <laughs> That's a horrible pitch. That's no. a horrible pitch. Okay, hold on. The, <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, it's a fantasy, so it can be whatever you want. But the, Bill's, the, the president says, Bill, I'd like you to fly me in a helicopter, or I want to meet you. I'd like to invite you and your family to the White House. I'd like to play golf with you like you did with Brett Favre. And then all of a sudden, Brett Favre got lit up. Vince Vaughn saw him at a football game and shook his hand. Like, now it's at the point where you're like, if you meet the president, if, if you want to not get assassinated in social media, you just got to keep your hands down and be like, no, no. Like, would you take the opportunity to meet President Donald J. Trump? I wouldn't have done that with any president. Never? No. Well, hold on. That's crazy. You wouldn't – Obama, are you fucking kidding me? No. What? You would, I would love to have met Obama. No. What about no, Ronald Reagan? No. Why? Why not meet any president? Because then they fucking own me. Now I can't do jokes. Dude, what the fuck? Uh, we had fucking stakes in the Oval Office. And now if he's acting like a cunt, I can't call him a cunt because he's got my number? <laughs> well, what the fuck? I, no. That's the thing about this business, dude, is, and that happens a lot is that they bring you in. Once they bring you in and then you're making a little bit of money, or you guys hung out, you golfed together, you broke bread, then, all, then, there's a, then they're like a, a real person. So I really believe just as a comedian that you, know, you avoid getting into that because then, then your act just gets like, you know, how are you going to have your hot take if the guy's drone bombing a fucking wedding? I go over to the Obamas. I can't make fun of him for that. <laughs> then he calls me up. Oh, it was a mistake. Uh, we thought they were terrorists. 
how the fuck he talks like Jackie Mason, right? And then I got to listen to him fucking, or you, you, then I couldn't have done the Michelle Obama bit. It was one of my favorite things I ever did. Oh, it's one of my favorite reactions I ever got from anybody. Um, I mean, she was nice to your wife. Uh, we had you over. <laughs> then I got to listen to that shit. I hate it. I don't, I, I don't have any fucking interest. I don't know how to run a country. I don't want to know how to run a country. And I don't want to rub elbows with those guys because then all of a sudden, you know, they're calling me up, you know, crying like some fucking asshole. And I got to listen. I don't want to listen to it. So what part of like, I, like the, one of the perks, one of the things I like about being uh, in the public eye a little bit is getting to meet like heroes, like the rock. Like if I could meet the rock, I would be like, is there anyone out there that you would leverage all your years of hard work? Like all your years of hard work where it pays off and, and it gets to go like, Hey Bill heads up, uh, fucking chuck yeager or someone like someone that excites you that like larry bird wants to have you out to the to the house to have dinner and play basketball is there anyone that you would be interested in uh, that you bend over backwards for no i mean i i once you meet a few you kind of get it it's like oh this is just some fucking guy or some woman and they had a dream and they went after it just like me and then you sit down with them and they're like, fucking, ah, God, they get this fucking itch. I can't get rid of it. And they just become normal. It's like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't mind doing it on like a TV show or in a movie. I'd like to work with them in that sense. But um, I'm not saying I wouldn't want to go over to somebody's house, but like. Um, but there's nothing. You know, I have a really busy life at home, dude, with, with uh, two kids and everything. I got my hands full with that. And I, I, to be honest with you, if I was over fucking Chuck Yeager's house the whole time, I'd be sitting there going like, I'm supposed to be singing the bare necessities to my daughter, putting her to bed <laughs> as he's telling me what it's like to go through the, uh, the stratosphere vertical. But I mean, no, this, um, I think it's more, more people. Um, I think it was more when I was younger. So let's go back in time. So all of those people, they're all dead now. Everybody that I like is dead. Like who? Well, most of the cast of the Magnificent Seven, uh, John Bonham. You're such an interesting person. What? <laughs> Why? Dude, just... those are huge fucking movies. I'm just a little <laughs> bit older than you, and you're it was before cable. We're all we're practically the same age. No, we're not. I'm 52. You're like 45. Uh, Bill, Bill, you were just a senior when I was a freshman. That's all. <laughs> no, but there's a big difference though. There was a there's a major. You ever see Keith Robinson do that bit about black guys? Uh. Uh-uh. He says there's Earth, Wind, and Fire black guys, and then there's, like, <laughs> and then there's Run DMC guys. There was that thing where Keith graduated, and uh-huh. it was it was Earth, Wind, and Fire, and Parliament, and all that. And then within four years, Run DMC, Aerosmith, and all all. I mean, I don't know a shit about rap. KRS One, all of those guys came out. Um, so that, when it became mainstream, I should say, because I guess the Sugar Hill Gang and all that, before you fucking hip-hop heads come at me, all right? Um, no, you're right. There was, there was the blouse, the blouse prince black guys, and then there was the tight, uh, uh, leather, uh, members-only jacket black guys. Like, like, I remember this distinctly. There was, it was cool to be feminine for a second, and like, and then all of a sudden, it was a different look. I remember the look vividly you know whose look it was bill um fucking uh god damn it 
I just watched this uh, a documentary on NFL Networks about him, and I was like, God, I didn't think he was that old. Uh, Randall Cunningham. Randall Cunningham, okay. Randall Cunningham was, like, tough, but he was, like, jerry curls and a tight members only leather jacket and like that was the 80s so clothes were tight in the 80s i will tell you this i i've been going through some pictures um for that patrice documentary and um i uh the pictures from the 90s it's some of the worst fucking photos i i i look like i lost 80 pounds in every photo like it's just the most baggiest awful shit ever but getting back to that so when did you get cable? What well, grade were you in when you got cable? We, I, late. It was late for us. I want to say uh, I, I was, must have been – I remember hearing about MTV and shitting on it to my friends playing wiffle ball. So I would say sixth, fifth grade, sixth grade? Yeah, fifth grade, sixth grade. I didn't get it till I was, like, in high school. Like, I never saw MTV till I was, like, a freshman, sophomore in high school. And then all of a sudden it came out. I was like, holy shit, what is this? But so there was no HBO, no Skinamax, none of that shit. So my generation, I grew up on the 8 o'clock movie, the Sunday night movie. Yeah. And they would show Clint Eastwood, Spaghetti Westerns, Magnificent Seven, Bridge Over the River Kwai, Kelly's Heroes, The Dirty Dozen. Um, I used to watch all of that shit. And um, so it was this weird thing where all the movie stars I liked were from like the 50s and 60s because it took that long, I don't know, to get the rights to movies to show them. And all the movies that were coming and going, like I guess like in, in the 70s when like, you know, Travolta and all those guys were blowing up, like I wasn't going to those movies. I was too young for that. And then the 80s came along and by then I got, you know, we got cable and I started seeing Chuck Norris, Stallone, Schwarzenegger movies, Scarface yeah. and all of that shit. But like, and that just like blew my fucking mind because where that was compared to what I had been watching on TV. So, so I grew up, I just grew up watching all of those, you know, Henry Winkler was huge for me to meet. I yeah. met him one time, I, I did a podcast for uh, a Bill Hader show, Barry. And I, I, I got, like, that was a huge thing. I had, like, you know, Fonzie trading cards. And my goal in the interview was not to bring up Happy Days the entire time and just talk about Barry. So I had plenty of questions for Bill Hader, plenty for uh, the creator of the show, and plenty for Henry, Henry Winkler. And I was going to get through this fucking hour, right? So <laughs> Bill Hader has a peanut allergy. He sends somebody out, somebody goes out to get him a fucking uh, coffee and they put almond milk in it instead of milk. The poor bastard drinks it and like his throat closes up. I mean, like the people can die from that shit. Yeah. So he had to go, go, you know, I don't know, do his breathing thing. I don't know. So he doesn't show up. So now it's me, the creator of the show and Henry Winkler. And I got beads of sweat going. I'm not fucking asking him. I'm not asking him. And he was so fucking cool. And like 40 minutes in, I was finally just like, I'm sorry, man. I was like, I was trying not to do this, but I thought Bill was going to, I was really trying to go the whole hour without bringing up Happy Days and that, that character you played. And he went right into the character and, and basically said like, you know, uh, hey, you know, you know, I can't do it. I can't do the, the Fonzie sort of that, yeah, that jagged talk where he was like, I'm not upset because that character put my kids through college. Yeah. And he did it and everyone's just like, oh my God, he's doing the Fonz. He was such a cool 
generous guy. So as far as meeting people, like, how's it going to get better than that? I met yeah. Henry Winkler. He did the Fonz. He was gracious. He was totally cool. And he's on a killer new show. Have you seen him on Barry, dude? I know everyone's talked about Barry. We were, we were just talking about, uh, I was just had a conversation about Bill Hader directing something. And I was like, Bill Hader directs? And they're like, you have not seen Barry? Barry's fucking amazing. I love Bill Hader. I think Bill Hader is the most, he's, he's the greatest actor that you don't know is acting. Like him and Trainwreck was fucking awesome. Yeah, Trainwreck was a and great and fucking movie. His impressions. You ever hear him do the... Uh, oh, his impressions. The guy with the white Obama. hair. The guy with the white hair would be like, it was a sleepy town. And he just, he, he would always do that. that. Ah. Did you ever see him with the parrot, with the puppet? I never saw, I mean... So my daughters and I got onto an SNL tear of like, it's like, I think so many people shit on SNL, but they forget how many amazing sketches they put out throughout a season. Like, Sketches that are like the funniest things you've ever seen. Do you ever see uh, K- Kristen Wiig with the baby hands when she pulls up the baby hands? Oh, yeah. I no, mean, she's like an all timer. She's like up there with Will and Eddie. It's that's one of the, that's one of the things that really kind of bugs me when you hear people say that guys think women aren't funny or that people say women are funny. I would argue women have owned SNL for the past fucking fifteen years. The women on SNL yeah, make not laugh funny. harder. I'm not saying the guys aren't funny, but man, those fucking, the women on that show are like laugh out loud. Dude, so underrated is, uh, is um, uh, not Amy Poehler, not Kristen Wiig. What's the oh, girl? Yeah. Rachel, uh, Rachel Dratch. Yeah, Rachel Dratch. Yeah. Debbie Downer. Downer. Debbie yeah. Downer yeah. is. <laughs> it's official. I can't have kids. <laughs> um yeah no all the way but yeah it's been um no but i thought that they were great during um dana carvey's era too i'm just so bad with the names i'm bad with the names too the the two women who were on during that anna gasteyer and um yeah anna gasteyer is gorgeous and uh uh something hooks or something like Jan hooks anna gasteyer was later it was uh jan hooks yeah, uh, Julia Sweeney. Um, yep. Julia and... Sweeney. Here comes Pat. Is that Julia Sweeney? No, I just think, I just, I think people, you know, they get paranoid. Well, look, it's not complete bullshit. There's been like major fucking people that say women aren't funny. Literally just say it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't agree with it. My wife's funnier than half the fucking comics I know. <laughs> my daughter Isla is my do- both my daughter my daughter Georgia I told you I was buying running shoes I, I don't know if this is just because their dad's a comedian mm-hmm. uh, that I-, I don't know if it's their because they're my kids or because I'm a comedian that they sp- maybe speak up when they shouldn't in in uh, times of an adult I was buying running shoes this is during the pandemic I had to go out and get running shoes and I had Georgia with me so we go into a running store and uh and I said, and I know I'm like in and out, right? Mask on. And I go over and I go, can I get these A6 in a size 12 and a half? And he goes, uh, sure thing. What are you going to be using them for? And I look at him, I go, running. And he goes, running? And then Georgia goes, and a little bit of lying. <laughs> and I just thought, I thought, wow, that's, a, that's, like, a, that's like a ball busting comic brain. But that must have got a good laugh, right? 
Uh, guy didn't. Guy wasn't laughing. I man, he wouldn't laugh at all. He just kind of walked away, and I was doubled over. I was like, God damn it, that was good. But yeah, I the, that old adage of women are funny just had never. The second I got into a comedy club, I remember sitting back there and going, and the, <clears throat> one of the first comics I saw was Sarah Silverman. She did that licking jelly off my boyfriend's dick joke. And I remember going, not only do I have a crush on her, like the one of those when a woman makes you laugh. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, you own a new space in my heart. Like, you got territory on me. Like, like guy, when a guy makes you laugh, you forever go, I love that dude. That guy's fucking great. But some, for some reason, when a woman makes you gut laugh, as a comic, maybe, you always have, like, a subtle crush on them. You know, where you go, like, I don't know. There's something different about them, you know? You don't have to say yes. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I If I make somebody that – a woman that breaks balls – yeah, and that's it. Because where I came from, that's like showing uh, affection says that you like somebody. It's also what can be done in a mean way. So I don't know. Who the fuck knows? What um, um I, I watched the good guys. The good guys is it the good guys we were talking nice about? Nice guys. Nice guys again. I want to run this theory by you? Is the nice guys an homage to Abbott and Costello? Uh, well, definitely when he's when he sees the dead body. Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt, that is. Uh, I'm I'm trying to look up this actor's name. Nice guy's cast. Ah, shit. Who is it? Is it John Boy? No, the guy. The guy who plays the blue guy. Oh wow, he was great, man. He's fucking unbelievable. That that movie is Bill. That you're the one that turned me on to that. And yeah, I watched just a second. Bo Knapp. Is that, I hope I said his name right. Dude, that guy, that guy is a beast. He's a fucking beast. I've seen that movie like six times. And the way Russell Crowe and uh, Ryan Gosling play off each other. And I, I thought Ryan Gosling doing that thing when he saw the dead body was like, I just was like, this guy is a student of comedy. Like he is showing, he's going all the way back to the 40s, that was Abbott and Costello's heyday, you know, black and white stuff, all the way up to right now, where, you know, you know, you look at some of the comedies from 40, 50 years ago, and people would like deliver a funny line, bah, 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 you know, they really get it. Now you're like, you gotta act like you're not being funny. He could do all of that. And then Russell Crowe, that re the register he was talking in when he was bringing his voice down, almost <laughs> like a monotone, was killing me. We just had the brass knuckles and he punches that dude in the face. I don't want to ruin it for people, but that um that's a that's a uh on the road movie. Like back in the day, you know, when we'd be on the road and every once in a while I'd get like a tour bus. Like like that was like the highest compliment for a movie. And when that thing came out, I was like, dude, that's in the rotation. We're throwing in Anchorman, Goodfellas, and then we're watching the nice guys. Um yeah, incredible you, movie. Didn't you, did, did one of those guys come on your tour bus? Uh, I was in Atlanta when they were shooting Anchorman 2, and I'd gotten to know Dave Keckner. Yeah. Um, so he invited us over there. And uh, I t I've told, haven't I told this story? I don't think so. I think I did, yeah. A Andrew's saying, yeah. No, he did like that old school hello. Like we walked up, they brought us up to outside of his trailer, and he just burst the door open like Kramer. And he's, standing, he's a big guy, so he's standing above us. And it's me and Jay Lawhead, and he had never met Jay. So he just bursts the door open, and he just goes, the man, the myth, 
the legend, come here. And he starts bounding down. And I'm like, going, oh, my God, this guy's going to hug me like a grizzly bear. And right as I put my arms up to hug, hug him, he walks right by me and just bear hugs Jay, who he had never met, and buried his face into his neck, totally committed to it. And, like, it was just such, like, an old-school, silly thing to do. Yeah. And uh, we were dying laughing, and then we ended up, yeah, we got to go down to the set, and they were actually doing a, a news piece. So when, when Will Ferrell showed up, he was totally Ron Burgundy. He had, like, the, uh, like the, this crazy-looking suit on and shit. It was nuts. The whole thing was nuts. Um, yeah, that was a great. And then we played the Tabernacle. They came out, and we also went to the NCAA basketball finals that I believe Louisville won that year. Um, I mean, I, I, nobody had more fun doing the fucking road than I did back, back when you could do it. I was just a sports nerd. Did I, did I tell you what I had lined up for this year as far as sports? No. I was going to the Masters on Saturday and Sunday, me and like four of my friends. Then I was going to a MotoGP race, the motorcycle racing uh, in Austin. I was going to the Kentucky Derby, and I had gigs around all of this. I was going to the Kentucky Derby, and, and then I was going to go to the uh, Isle of Man race and TT, the TT race. I had that lined wait, up. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, Isle of Man, the Isle of Man race in the Isle of Man. Yeah. yeah. What were you? Where, that, that, <laughs> the Isle of Man race in fucking Rhode Island. Dude, Isla and I just watched a documentary on that the other day. That is fucking insane. That's dangerous to go as a spectator. Yes. Everything about it is insane. It's tell everyone, tell everyone that doesn't know about the Isle of Man race what it is. Just because uh, I don't think... It's a motorcycle race that's held, I think, over one, uh, two weeks. There's all these different classes and stuff. And um, basically, they've had more people die than years that they've run the race. And they're just on these country roads <laughs> going like 200 miles an hour, which is like, what, a three, 320 kilometers. They're just flying and they'll fly right through town. And there's like people just standing on the side of the road and they're just going like, Phew. like these people are insane. They're going to get fucking decapitated yeah. and they're going to kill the guy on the bike. Um, and, it's a, and it's a little like Irish village. It's not like, uh, it's not like, Irish. It's not Irish. Welsh. Is it Welsh? No, it's they're their own deal. Yeah, but their own deal. They're, they're, there's Great Britain's here. I got to do it this way. Great Britain's here. And then there's Ireland. It's in between. But 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 perspective-wise, if you're hearing this story, I don't want you to think it's like uh, like like old, like uh, like a town in Alabama. These are like old cobblestone, like little little like brick walls that it's just. It's oh yeah, no, they're, they're cow paths that they paved over, and they're just. I mean, there's just tree-lined streets going like you know 200 miles an hour, 180 miles an hour, and then they get into town. I saw one one year. The guy came into town. And he went over the hill and his bike went airborne. And then there was just the side of a store that was looked like it was out of Lord of the Rings, like all stone. Yeah. And just boom, splat. You were do you were gonna go to the race? Yeah. I've been trying to I've been yeah, I was I've been trying to go with a buddy of mine forever. So so it, the year it started off, I went to the college Super Bowl this year, saw Joe Burroughs and LSU went win it against Clemson. Um, that's the game Vince Vaughn shook hands for half a second with uh, Trump you were talking about earlier. I was at that game. And uh, so that was the beginning of this, this 
this run I was going to do of, of, of really cool venues and going to all of these, these crazy sporting events, um, you know, but whatever. I mean, it's not like they're not going to ever have them again. It just kind of got derailed. All right, everybody, this one's from TheraOne. From tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day. Everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore. So mm -hmm. everyone can benefit from TheraOne's CBD products. Oh, I love the CBD. Started uh, by Dr. Jason Worslin, Bert, TheraBody exists to provide you the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. It started with the revolutionary Theragun percussive therapy device. When Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments. I have created, that gun, Bill. I have that gun is amazing. I use it on my hip. I got that gun too. Uh, I use it on my skull. He created, <laughs> he created TheraOne to bring you CBD products. Uh, shit. Oh, CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim to be organic, but still contain up to 30% filler. A lot of and filler. Fillers are potentially toxic. Um, TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic, grown in the US of A, and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warning, warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion or massage oil to recover, body balm for targeted relief, and sleep tincture? Tincture, it's a little oil. Yeah, yeah, I love tincture. Put it on your taint? Put it on your, under your tongue sometimes. Okay, to drift into, it sounded like tincture. Tincture, <laughs> to drift into a deep night's sleep. This is, I love this stuff. This guy will get you through the whole day just chilling. Activate uh, CBD lotion. Activate is a warming CBD lotion, perfect for your before workout, preparing for free-flowing movement, and can be easily incorporated into your morning routine to prepare your body for whatever the day throws at you. Now this guy knows what it's like to be a fucking 47-year-old man trying to work out. Yeah. I'm done with Epsom salt. I'm switching to CBD. Now through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th. Uh, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all their Thera products. But you've got to go to theragun.com slash Bill Burt. If you don't love what you get from Thera, TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is, no, this is a no-brainer. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. Buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash Bill Burt, but only until Labor Day. Go right now. Theragun, T-H-E-R-A. G-U-N dot com slash Bill Burt, B-I-L-L-B-E-R-T. Bill, do you like sex? I love sex, Burt, and I think you, about you when I do it. Then you will lose. <laughs> <laughs> you will love Bluetooth.com. Yo, Blue, my boy, Blue. <laughs> Bluetooth.com offers better performance enhancement for the bedroom. At Bluetooth.com, you can get your first chewable with the active ingredients so Your dick is going to be reverse Colin Kaepernick. It's going to be standing up. <laughs> yep, because it has sildenafil and tadenafil. It's the same ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis. BlueChew.com affiliated physicians work with you to find the right dosage and active ingredients that best fits you. 
for instance, if I was the Dr. Bill and you had erectile problems, what would you say to me? I'd say, Bert, don't tell this to anybody, but my dick's not working. Then you need some chewables from Blue Chew that can be taken on a full or empty stomach. Online physician consultation is free. It only takes a few minutes to connect you with BlueChew.com's affiliated physicians. And if you qualify, you get prescribed online quickly. No in-person doctor visit. No awkward conversation. This is perfect. You don't have to wait for the pharmacy line. You have to look another man in the eye and say, my dick doesn't work anymore for the love of God. No, it ships direct to your door in discreet packaging. The chewables from BlueChew.com are made in the USA. Thank God. I want an American hard dick. Am I right, Bill? That's right. You want a red, white, and blue dick. Blue. Standing up, just not on the 4th of July. Flag day, Labor Day. Blue Chew gives you the confidence in the bed every time you and your partner will love it. Chew it and do it. Here's the great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free. When you use the promo code Bill Burt, just pay $5 in shipping. That's B-L-U-E, Chew.com, promo code Bill Burt. I don't know. I saw something from Fucci. Fucci, Dr. Fucci. Fanucci, Fauci, fucking, fucking idiot. Fauci. Fauci, and he said he doesn't think we'll ever get rid of coronavirus. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, Well, I mean, you're not if people aren't going to do what, the, what they're fucking telling you to do. You're absolutely not going to. I think, but you know, we never got rid of AIDS, but we came up with something where you can manage the disease and live a very long time. So that's what will end up happening. I mean, I don't think that you ever really cure a virus, do you? You don't really stop a virus. They it can burn it. out if you quarantine people. I Look, I mean, there is a way to do it, but everybody would have to get on board. And human beings, generally speaking, just seem to like to argue. You know, it's funny dude, coming out of me, huh? met a dude this weekend. We took the girls on a, uh, on a road trip this weekend in a Winnebago. So I figured I can stay safe on the tour bus it toured the country um and we're doing another tour we're doing another tour just to give you everyone's a heads up we're doing another tour through drive-in movie theaters in august starting august 8th until august 20 something so i i, I believe you can be safe you re- i really do I'm, I'm proof that if you wear a mask and you kind of say zero contact you don't get in people's faces don't touch a lot of things i'm a little obsessive and compulsive but you can be, be safe i am proof that the mask fucking works but we get to this dude ranch. We're going to go ride horses with the girls, do a sunset ride. And I see a guy who's a fan. He's a fucking listens to Rogan, listens to us, listens to my podcast. And he sees me and I have a mask on. And he goes, oh, come on. You're not one of those maskers, are you, Bert? And I wanted to go, yeah, like, why aren't you? Like, I wanted to. It's pointless. I, it's pointless because they, they are convinced that doctors don't know what they're talking about, but the news program they watch does. And um, look, it's, it's both sides fault, both sides politicized the thing. So it stopped being a medical issue. It became a, you know, machismo. What are you a fucking pussy? You're wearing a mask. It became, you know, those kids, it's not a mask. It's a muzzle. I love that. Well, take off the, okay. Well, what do you have to say? What are they stopping you from saying? And the whole thing is just, I don't know. Like, look, I love a conspiracy theory, but to think that, that the entire world got on board 
to either help Trump or get rid of Trump, depending on where you sit on that thing, or, or I don't know what. It's Fucking just, man, I just saw Charlemagne the God talking about Biden. Fucking, ugh, this is I'm, I'm like I'm like giving up. Why I, would know, you listen to that guy? He, he's not like a political pundit. It's he's a like, smart dude. He's a smart dude. And he's any and Bill. Well, also, I'm a smart dude, but I don't know shit about politics. What 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 what, what do you have? Some inside scoop? No, 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 no. I just, no. I like to take, I don't get a lot of different perspectives in my life. You know, I mean, I, when it comes to people of color. You seem so well-rounded. Fucking, I'm horrible, Bill. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I like to listen to guys that I don't, guys that have different perspectives. And to hear someone like Charlemagne the God, who I respect, say, I hope I really like your vice presidential candidate because I fucking hate you go like, God damn it, if he feels that way, then a lot of black people must feel that way. And that bums me out that a portion of our country is feeling disfranchised, even more disfranchised than they, than they did. Like their one hope makes them feel like shit too. It just, everything about 220 fucking bums me out. Like I just go, come on, man, let's get fucking, let's, I'm so ready for a cure. I'm so ready for a vaccine. I'm so ready for fucking something. And I, want, and I want a Democratic candidate that everyone has hope behind. And I want, fuck, I want everything. I want to go to a concert. I want someone to spill a beer on me and look at me and go, bro, my bad. That's all I want, my bad. And I go, don't worry about it. Like, I fucking want everything back. My dude, I'm like losing my shit, Bill. It's been a bad week. No, no, I've been there. I would like it if everybody stopped watching CNN and Fox News. And I would love it for the government to come in and break up those two news channels and go back to regulating ownership of media so we're not listening to two people's fucking opinions and they have that level of influence to the point that people listen to their news channel before they listen to doctors. Bam! Yep. Try to get me to say that fucking thought that clearly again. <laughs> I want a revolution and I want it to be someone that takes down Twitter, takes down those new and goes, guys, we will give you the news. This is fair. And these, this is the truth. And it's just impossible. one. Impossible. It's like picking a form of government that isn't corrupt. Yeah. Like people's idea of like communism. Go, oh, communism, socialism. I mean, on paper, you know, <laughs> it's a cool fucking thing. But you're not, everybody, like, as far as my limited, limited understanding of socialism is everybody kind of has the same, Right. Is that what it is? I'm just hanging yeah. it. Hands Everyone's up. Thing. Yeah. Okay. There's always going to be somebody taking more. Oh. Somebody, yeah. There's always going to be that person taking more and, and, and just fucking everybody else because human beings are inherently flawed. They're just inherently fucking flawed and corruptible. And, and, then, like, and then that's just regular people. Forget about people who are born, like, you know, missing some, like, I don't know, empathy and ability to give a fuck about other people. I don't know. I just think all, it, it's all, I don't know. I, I don't know. Dude. I'm so fucking sick of talking about it. Let's, let's just talk right? about some dumb shit. What, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm telling, I'm bummed out that my daughters are getting older. It really is bumming me out. So tell me some cool baby shit. Like, I, like I'm already kind of looking. The advantages of being an old dad is listening to all you fucking Guys who had kids when you're supposed to have kids all regret and going, man, I should have been there more. Oh, they grew up so fast, dude. I'm, you know, make sure you take it in. You guys are like that dude in that fucking, avenge me! Avenge me! 
hanging onto the chain link fence as your kids are going off to college. I just had a moment this weekend where I said, I'm fucking done. I'm done. I can't wait till I find my second wife and start my new family, and I'm going to do it right this time. <laughs> <laughs> you get a do-over? God. Uh, what's going on with me? I'm, I'm learning to uh, braid my daughter's hair, and it's like the greatest uh, father-son interaction we could be having. Really? Like, uh, like, like legit braid her hair? Like yeah. cornrows and stuff? Yeah, well, I mean, I, you start simple. Yeah. So now I'm working my way up to like a French braid and then stuff like that. And like, you know, doing the whole thing, spritzing it, detangling it, combing it out and all that shit. And we just sit there talking to each other. She's like a little girl in her hair salon. And she seems to, <laughs> to really be enjoying it. <laughs> and I got to tell you, man, like, if I keep doing that, I'm not going to be, you know, in 18 years being like, it goes by so quick. Make sure you fucking, I'm going to be sitting back going like I took, I did the whole thing. I took it all in. Because that is the one great thing is I have been home every single day of my son's life. I have not missed anything. Yeah. Um, and now he's smiling. I'm telling you, the kid's got a vibe, dude. Kid's got a vibe. Really? Yeah, I said to my wife, I go, he's got a vibe. She goes, yeah, he definitely has a vibe. He's chill. And he already knows what he wants. He's a chill dude, man. <laughs> oh. Do you, is you, are you guys nicknamed people? Yeah. Yeah, we got some. I keep those to myself, though, because that's... Uh, no, no, I'm just saying. Oh, no, we got a bunch. We have nicknames. We have songs. Uh, oh, we're songs. We're, we were big song people. We were big song people. Like, making up your own little songs for inside the family. Oh, yeah, I got one for my daughter when she's taking a bath because she was whining. <laughs> and she's like, hey, I'm taking that, doing all that. And I just started making up this stupid song. I was like... Take off the shirt, take off your pants, take off your underwear. Just <laughs> thought it was the funniest thing ever. But now every night when she goes to take a bath, she goes, Dad, Dad, take off your pants, take off your <laughs> underwear. <laughs> uh, we used to love when they'd say a word wrong, and then that would become the new word for that. Paisie was our favorite. Are we getting Paisie? And we go, what? Paisie. I want a slice of Paisie. And you went, oh, pizza? <laughs> And then, you know, in my I, family, uh, the youngest one in my family, we, we came up with a catchphrase that we used to say when someone would say something to you, uh, you know, like basically that was like, you know, a sort of a clap of thunder. You just go, I would just go, me up, Bert. So me up meant meaning what? Me up? Yeah. My little brother didn't know how to say it. I was thinking it might have been my sister. I can't remember. He did, didn't know how to say it. And my dad used to always do that. He'd be like, well, you know, so uh, I forgot my books today when I went to math class. And then he would look and be like, meaning what, Bill? Meaning what? <laughs> I uh, got a zero for the day. So we used to imitate him over just dumb shit. Going, meaning what? We used to imitate him. So my dad's such a character. So my little sister wanted to be like us so she would look at she she'd say me up bose because she couldn't say bill yeah so, yeah and then we all said each other's names the way she said them and to this day like when we text each other we text each other in the pronunciation of the youngest kids pronunciation of all of our names like 30 40 years ago it's fucked oh that's i love those that's what i i when i was in i think i guess i'm maybe high school i felt like i felt like i I felt like my family wasn't cool, 
And I'd look at other families and go, God, I wish my family was as cool and as fun as other families. And then one day it switched. And I think it was my youngest sister who we realized was like the energy of our family. And mm -hmm. she, she would just grab things. Like we had an uncle who would, who was very, very wealthy and we'd go visit him, but his lifestyle wasn't conducive to like kids. And so he used to call us, he used to call us big team. Like he was just very, like, I love this guy. And I, if he ever hears this, I don't want him to think negatively, but he would like, <laughs> he would be like, uh, all right, big team, we got brunch by the pool and we're going to do some Bible reading. Okay. And so we'd be like, uh, all right. And so he'd leave. And then my little sister, Katia would go, all right, big team, can't wait for this Bible reading. Who wants to read first? And so we'd do that. But then as disconnect, and I don't hope he doesn't ever hear this and see badly about it. But he would then have a bottle of Chardonnay because he would want Chardonnay at brunch. No one could drink, but we'd all get Chardonnay. <laughs> and we'd be like, wasted. And Cotty, my little sister Cotty would go, I love being big team. This is great. I'm 15 and lit. <laughs> so my little sister would be the one that would be, was kind of like the energy that connected all of us because her inside jokes were always fucking hilarious. Like, and I, 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 you know, and then one day I just, what's that? I would say we used to, uh, one of my brothers had a boom box that had the double tape, you know, so you could record. Yeah. You have, have like ACDC and then make a recording. He one time uh, recorded an argument my parents were having <laughs> with Led Zeppelin, no quarter underneath it. And it, it just meshed together perfectly because that, that song starts off so slow and creepy with the keyboard and then when it, it builds to the crescendo that must get true you know and bonham comes in and then my dad i'll tell you what the fuck i ever got fucking married <laughs> dude we've been asking him for 30 years he goes i know i have that tape somewhere trying to find that fucking tape that's the other thing too about um when i think about being a kid was how fucking funny my family was how funny everybody in my town was and just how funny i don't know just the entire greater boston area it was just like i don't know what it is about the east coast because i feel like new york down to philly is the same way it's just everybody is fucking hilarious yeah but actually pittsburgh's that way i think cleveland's that way i i don't know what it is there's just something about uh I think you gotta, you got to have a major city and you need four sports teams. And if you have that, for some, then it's just going to be like, I don't know, there's going to be like that sports vibe. So then it becomes the locker room vibe, you know, breaking balls, learn how to take it and your balls busted. And then everybody just sort of becomes like funny, I think. And cold weather too. Cold weather is a big one too. There was something when I, my cousins all grew up in Philly and there was a um, – I think what you need to be funny sometimes is like a really not caring if you're funny, like just being funny, like someone who cares too much, which happens a lot in the South, like in the South. And I, I, I grew up in the South. I'm not shitting on the South, but one of the things in the South were like, uh, like old stories you'd heard a hundred times. They'd tell it 111 times. Like I met this guy, I met this guy who did the funniest fucking thing. He goes, we went to a professional fishing tournament one time. I don't know, it's long, but he comes up and he goes, uh, you're special. And I said, I am. And he goes, I, 
I can notice special when I see special. Oh man, but I, I want to do it in his accent. I hope this isn't cultural appropriation. He's like, I, there's something I, I, I see special in a man's eyes and a young boy, I know special. And I want you to know that I know you're special and I got this coin. And it says, the coin says, given to one special person. He goes, I made this 20 years ago. And I swear to God, I said, when I find the guy that I, I just think is going to do big things, I'm going <laughs> to give it to him. And I got it and I went, sir, I, I can't tell you how much this means. He goes, don't mention it. My buddy came and comes up and he goes, you're special. And he pulls another coin out of his pocket. <laughs> he had 20 <laughs> coins in his pocket. And we watched as he gave them to other people. Like, and we were crying laughing to watch the response on there. Like, I, I am special. <laughs> but like, that's like an old Southern man thing to do where it like, they tell the same story almost a hundred times. And then they work on that story. It's, it's the difference in comedy a little bit. But I know what you're saying. The ball, the quickness. Southern people are hilarious. Yeah, Southern people are hilarious, but it is a different sense of humor a little bit. It's just like a different rhythm, but like, um, what I like is a super smart Southern guy, but they still speak at that pace. Yeah. So it's, still, it's like watching this overhand, when they trash you, it's like watching this overhand right coming for a minute and you still can't get out of the way and they get you right on the jaw and you're just laughing your ass off. I've had, I've had a, I don't know, I've had a really great time touring all the way through there, you know, college football and all of that shit. I don't know, dude. I think it's going to come back. I think, I think, I think there is something. I remember when I got to New York, I felt like everyone was moving. I felt like I jumped into a game of double Dutch and everyone was already knew how to do the double Dutch. And I remember being at the Boston comedy club going like, everyone's so quick. Like you couldn't say anything on that front stoop without fucking nine jabs hitting you. And then you were like, I, I don't know how to defend myself. Like this is, it, it, and I and I remember someone saying, "Welcome to New York," and I just thought this feels like Philly. Like I remember going to this place called Norristown in Philadelphia, it's where my cousin Abe lived, and uh, it was a predominantly black neighborhood. And his buddy Quate, who had an amazing influence on me, he had a brother Dante, Durante. Like they had all different versions of it. The, they were the A family, the Tays, and the Tays. Okay, I remember Quate and his friends or maybe his brothers were just doing the dozens and busting my balls your mama's and they were like things i couldn't even like i was like they didn't even make sense your mom is so broke she drives a low rider milk truck like and i was like what like nothing made your mama's your mama's got a spoon taped here and a fork taped here and eats like this and like you're just like i was like i don't have any of your mama jokes ready like i have none i just i just got home i looked at my mom i was like what the fuck wrong with you <laughs> I remember, yeah, Boston Comedy Club, though, that was, uh, I never, I never worked a place like that ever, like that. No. I used to be terrified, fucking terrified of that place. I used to walk by it during the day and just looking at it, my stomach would get nuts because of the, the comics were so good there. And you had that thing where in the back of your head, way in the back, you knew you were going to get in there. And you knew you were good enough if you could just get over this fucking fear. And you go in and no one was really overly nice. They weren't mean, but they just were like doing their own thing. And then the people running the room, Frosty and all of them, used to deliberately put you on after Red Johnny and the round guy. Like 
a tell. They would, they would try and bury you your first time down there. And it, that was like their big thing because they wanted to see if you had the balls to fucking hang down there. It was like a real um, sort of like um, a rite of passage with like a little bit of hazing. It's, it's one of those things that you couldn't do it now. No. Because people would be out in front of their cell phones. I just want you to know, I just came down here to do a spot and they were so mean to me and blah, 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 and all that type. You, you really couldn't. It'd be considered like a, um, a uh, I don't know, like, a, a, like just a toxic environment. And it was. It was. <laughs> By the way, I was about to go, it was definitely a toxic environment. <laughs> it was, but like how much, what a feeling of accomplishment, though, to somehow get in and actually have a good set. Because, dude, there, was guy, there were comics who used to hide uptown. They went down there once or twice got their balls handed to them, and they just said, fuck this, and stayed uptown. And um, I remember there was like, there's always a divide. So when I was first came down to New York, it was like, um, there was sort of this, the, the uptown comics looked down on the village comics. Like, these guys are crass. They just say, fuck every other word, and blah, blah. And we were, and we did, but... Um, the thing was, is we could go up and do their clubs and some of them couldn't come down. Not all of them, but there was like, the, like the, the most elitist out of all of them were the ones that ate their balls the worst. So they kind of had like this, um, you know, sort of attitude. And then somewhere along the line, the alt rooms sort of took that elitist sort of vibe that reached, really reached its peak in like the 2000s. Yeah. When, when they just really thought that they're, you know, I, I, whatever the fuck they were doing down there evidently was just so much beyond my shit and dick jokes. Um, I don't know. I remember, I remember seeing, I remember when I started, you could go to um, some of those alt rooms would let you pay $5 and go on stage or like surf reality or collective unconscious. I love surf reality. I saw some really genius, genius, out-of-the-box thinkers like dudes who i remember going like i know nothing's gonna happen with this guy but god damn it he's a smart dude i, I remember seeing a guy and this is i mean obviously i think people go we're gonna be outraged by this this guy was like alt as fuck the alt the altest alt dude i've ever seen and he did a set in a clan outfit this has got to be 99 right and he came out from and he was wearing a clan outfit and everyone was shocked and he was like Guys, before I start my set, you have no idea how hard it was to get this dry cleaned. And and, <laughs> and he did a set with, no, but it was just like so different. And I said, the same guy did a set about traveling to Japan and experiencing toilets that shot water in your asshole. Like mm -hmm. this guy was really brilliant. I wish I knew who this guy was, but I can't remember. There was a guy. Yeah, he went on stage in a full Nazi outfit. Yeah, it was like I so being that and it's like you could do shit like that and people understood that he was just fucking around. I remember his joke his joke was something like he comes on stage he's like he's like yeah they say 6 million Jews died in the Holocaust. And everyone was like what the fuck he goes oh yeah he goes name one. Or something <laughs> like that. It was just like what the fuck. That was like his opening joke. And then he just just plowed ahead and it was like I forget what even like 
the vibe of that was. And then what's her face used to come through? Sharon Needles. Remember her? The, the, uh, whatever the proper name is. It was a guy dressed as a woman. Yeah, I don't remember. And his, her stage name was Sharon Needles. <laughs> and I just remembered uh, I was in the back of the club with uh, Russ Maneev. And we didn't know this person. And they brought up, please welcome Sharon Needles. And it both hit us. And I remember we both looked at each other and just started fucking laughing. Yeah. I mean, I already loved the act just by the name. And to me, that was alternative comedy. And then what happened was like anything. It just kind of became like a formula and it kind of got leveled out. But yeah. I, early on, like when I first came to New York in like 95, 96, there was shit like that going on down during the week at the Boston Comedy Club. And then there was um, Luna Lounge, which became Eating It. I can't remember what, but Surf Reality had some really like crazy, like someone would go up and just do a piece of a one-man show of just super toxic, crazy characters. It was fucking wild. And it was, it was really, really like... Crazy. Do you remember Becky Donahue? Yeah, I remember her. Sure. Becky Donahue. Becky Donahue was, was roommates with... Uh, with Reverend Jen, who ran Surf Reality, right? Yeah. And Reverend and Becky Donahue came up on uh, this. This joke has made me laugh so hard since I heard it. Just one joke that you never forget. She goes, "I uh, I slept in all day. I haven't done anything all day, and I got out to go get to go down to the bodega, and I there were feathers from my pillow just sitting on my stomach, and I knew people were gonna look at me and go, "Oh, we know who you are, chicken fucker." <laughs> <laughs> he's just like they were really brody stevens i met brody stevens at surf reality and brody's first uh first joke i ever heard him say was popular movie 10 things i hate about you i'd like to start off with 10 things i hate about me <laughs> i've got hair on my cock not at the base, halfway up the shaft <laughs> oh. yeah i remember i think i first met him late night at the comedy cellar it's amazing like how much all of that has changed. Like when you go to the comedy cellar now, like the comedy cellar is like a celebrity. It's like famous because it's been in so many TV shows now where before it was like this, uh, this thing you had to know about. It was almost like you had to be a kid going to NYU and be hanging in Washington Square Park and be like, hey, you know, there's a fucking comedy club around the corner. And there's this guy, Dave Chappelle, who goes up. Because I remember Dave was like the guy, even way back then. Um, yeah, it's just sort of becoming, the cell is still great, but it's, it's like a, it's, it's like a, a celebrity. It's like the store. Yeah, the comedy store is famous now. Yeah, comedy which, store. Which it sort of was, and then it went away, and then came, but it's like Travolta. It had its first run, and then now it's having its Pulp Fiction, its Pulp Fiction run. What do you think about what's, uh, uh, going on out in uh, Yellow Springs with Chappelle. Have you been following any of that? Um, I just looks, heard about that. It looks so much fun. Camp yeah. Chappelle, where it's like Mo Ammer, Michelle Wolf, Donnell Rollins, and then a, a, a bevy of like his hip hop star friends, like Common or or Talib Kweli, or like all those. Everyone's just hanging out there, doing shows in a field socially distancing and then Donnell cooks every fucking Sunday and has a barbecue 
It re- and oh, everyone's yeah. and Chappelle's so Chappelle's footing COVID tests for everyone. Everyone gets COVID tests. Like every day, they're getting COVID tests. That's crazy. He really has done him. And I know you're not. I know this is not your strong suit to talk about a guy like Chappelle. But you have experience with him. You've known him for a while. When you see this part of his personality that is really like this, like, I'm really going in my own lane. I want to live in Yellow Springs. I want comedy to be the thing. Like, he really has put a a thumbprint on the way he's decided to not only live his life, but work this business. Like, I don't think he cares a ton about money or celebrity or any of that. Did you see any of that when he was younger? Um, I, I didn't really get to know him too well until I did this Chappelle show. And by then he was like, you know, I mean, he, he was like huge. So, I mean, I was, I think when I came to New York, I just sort of stayed to myself. It was like, I'm just gonna try to be funny and get in at these clubs and all of these guys that I'm in awe of, I'm not going to bug them. And if they see me on stage and they like what I'm doing, if they come up and say hello, you know, or if they talk to me, you know, like David Tell was always nice. Chappelle was always nice. I would talk to them. But I, had a, I always had like a respectful sort of distance thing with all of those guys that like um, from basically Louis' generation. Yeah, of, of, of comments because they was just so much better than I was. Nick DiPaolo, all, all of those guys, Colin, all of them. I just sort of was like, all right, these guys are on a whole other fucking level. And I'm just trying to figure out what bullshit I'm bringing down from the Boston scene that actually works three states away, which wasn't a lot. Um, and so I, I had a sort of a lot of stuff to think about. But I definitely... Um, was he, when on the set of Chappelle, was he, I know this sounds silly, and I'm sure I already know the answer, but was he like, someone was like, hey, the numbers were up last week, or, or like, no. or like cared about, like, it really seems like he does not have a care in life, and that he just, he seems like such an authentic, in con- what you said about the all scene, where it's like, all of a sudden you watch everything kind of come, become the norm. Patton does it really well, and, and Sarah does it really well, and, and, Paul F. Tompkins, they all do this the thing differently. And then all their all the young kids, the open micers, just kind of replicate what they're doing. And then that scene kind of just goes, ah, it's not really that interesting anymore. Same thing with 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 the reason those guys started the alt scene, like Marin and them is and David Cross is because they were doing a scene where it seemed like everyone was doing the same thing and they went different. Chappelle yeah, they, just seems like comedy such- clubs got stale. So they wanted to have a place to stretch out is how it worked. And then they ended up creating a scene where people could start a career there. Um, So I, yeah, it was, you know, it was a cool, it was a cool thing. Um, But what Chappelle's doing seems so authentically, originally him. And, 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 and I go, you know, and then you look at, let let me take that from the top. Take it from, (laughs) how do you feel about Chappelle? No, I'm just kidding. No, but we edited we had to edit something out because I just told a secret. But so so you said no, don't worry. Just take the edit out. Let them guess what we were talking about. It doesn't fucking matter. Just take exactly what we need to be taken out, taken out, 
and we'll go back to it. But it's it's it, it is. I'm, I'm I I think it's if I say I'm very impressed with Dave, the the way Dave Chappelle's running his business, the way you've run your business, the way that you do comedy is so different. Both of you two are so different than the way most comics do it. Most comics think my agent knows the answer, whereas for whatever fucking reason, so many people go, I'm doing it differently. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it my way. And it's just, I don't know what my question is. Fuck it. No, I know what you're saying. No, but it's become a business where now you can kind of pick and choose what you want to do, how you want to do it, where you want to live. But when Dave first got his place, and he's been there for like 20 years, I feel like when he did that, that was um, really unheard of. It was a handful of people that got to his level and then went back to a home state or a state in the middle of nowhere. Like, I, I've got to be honest with you. Like, if there was a way that I knew how to do this business where I could live in the middle of nowhere. Um, well, you would? I, I would miss you guys. That's the thing. I would just miss comics too much. And then I'd have to sit there and be like, all right, um, I'm either going to go hang with Bert and all those guys this weekend or hang with my kids. I mean, then I got to make that fucking decision. I like that my kids and my, and all my comedian pals all live in the same general area, but I definitely have a, uh, a fantasy of, a regular house near a lake or on a lake. You know, this year we went to a Clemson game in Death Valley and we stayed in this really cool little house. It was right on this amazing lake that we actually could have taken a boat right up to the stadium. I was like this really long sort of uh, connection of a bunch of different lakes. And it was just um, a pace of life that uh, I haven't experienced since I moved to New York. So I moved to New York in 95 so i'm 25 years of being basically in like the rat race you know and living in some of the biggest cities in this country and giant fucking airports lax and jfk and all of that shit and um there is something like you know there's something you can you know there's really something to be learned from people that live in these so-called you know East bumfuck, it's just like, it's like, all right, so what? So it's East bumfuck what? Because they, they only have like two movies there as opposed to 24. But they also, don't, they don't spend like a, a significant portion of their lives sitting in fucking traffic. Yeah. And breathing polluted air and shit like that. Like there's definitely, you know, and you know the deal, dude, if you want your brain to shut off, you need alone time and quiet, which is is not something that you can do a lot of the times living in places, Los Angeles, Chicago, uh, LA, but the excitement of living there, that's the trade-off. You know what I mean? The fact that these amazing bands will come, you know, they come to where you live. You don't have to yeah. drive six fucking hours to go. Sleep. Where would you, where would you move? Where, if, if say, 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 they, say that Fauci comes out right now and says, listen, coronavirus isn't going to, it's things aren't going back to normal for another 10 years. Uh, no movies, no television, no nothing. So whatever you got to do. If I don't have to take any of my family into consideration. <laughs> okay, yeah. Give me that okay. one and then give me the other one. Give me both. And then I'm going to give you answers. I would... Um, 
I definitely go back to Boston. I would live outside of Boston in one of those uh, one of those really cool towns that I don't even know what the names of them are. That like every once in a while I go on Zillow and be like, look at that fucking beautiful house. What's the name of that town? And then they got this little place where you can get ice cream. You know, they got like a dairy farm. Like I'd either do that. And if I wasn't going to go back to Massachusetts, um, I like Milwaukee and I like Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm a big Tennessee guy. I can't stand Nashville only because it's like LA traffic. It's just fucking, it's just too many fucking people. Like there's, there's these really cool towns that everybody knows about and that's where the fuck they go. So like Milwaukee is Chicago without all the fucking people. Yeah. You, still, you can still get a house right on the fucking lake. You can play way less. And if you want to go to Chicago, I mean, it's not that far a ride. Um, and plus, you know, I like Miller High Life. And they got, um, they got a great cigar bar there. One of my favorite couple of theaters is there. And then one of my, my favorite fucking hotel with the best steam in America, the Fister Hotel, <laughs> spelled P-F. I-S-T-E-R. It's an, it's an old family, German family. I don't know what the fuck it is. You should drive the steam room at the Fister Hotel. I think I'm going to pass. I swear to God. The Fister Hotel. It's fucking amazing. And then there's a theater, I forget the name of it, that's right down the street that has one of the coolest green rooms with like a bunch of pinball machines. They cook for you. The people show up. They're fucking awesome. And I love the Milwaukee Brewers from back in the day when I fell in love with that team in 82 when they made their run and unfortunately lost to Ozzie Smith and the Cardinals. But I loved Robin, Robin Yount and Ben Oglevie and uh, Vukovic with that Fu Manchu. And I loved those uniforms. And George Scott, who was a great Red Sox, also, you know, played with them. And we also, we did a lot of trades. Cecil Cooper played with us and played with Milwaukee. So, um, and I missed the winner. Big 10 football. There's a lot to love. Is that with your family or without? Um, well, it's super fucking white out there. So, you know, with my wife, I think I'd have to, she'd be more towards uh, Chicago. I don't know. I don't think she'd want to, I, I don't think she'd want to live any of those places. Really? She likes New York and she likes LA. So, so, so let's say, let's say you had to, <laughs> Monday morning of next week, you had to surprise Nia with a new home in a new city. Uh, by the way, I can't even buy a fucking present for my wife. I've just told her now, you will never get a present from me. You go get yourself something. I'm tired of failing. I'm tired of failing and you telling me I failed on a day we're supposed to celebrate you. So if you want something, go get it. I'll be very happy to pay for it. How does she say when she said you failed? What does she say? Ooh, Bill, I got her. She said she, said she knew. She told me exactly what she wanted for her birthday. It was, it was one of her birthday. It was uh, Valentine's Day. Valentine's well, Day. I fucking hate that. You shouldn't even wrap it. And so I went. sending you on an errand. She, no, she, I, Bill, I listened. It wasn't even that. I listened. She said, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely lovely, loving these track suits, these, uh, these sweatsuits from, because um, we went, I bought, I bought her and the girls all matching track suits to go on a vacation for the flight, right? So they were really comfortable. They're called, uh, I forget the name of them. That's a great dad move. Yeah, right? So she says, she says, um, I really love that track. So I wish I had another one. She just said that in passing. So I thought, Valentine's Day, I'm going to get all my girls a nicer version of these track suits, like a nice version. 
Now I'm a fan of velour, so, <laughs> so I bought them. What's each. wrong with velour? Nothing is wrong with velour, and I buy There's them. Nothing wrong with velour. It's one of the most comfortable fucking uh, fabrics out there. And more expensive, so I thought, you know what? I drive down Valentine's. I drive down to 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 Venice to get these. I wish I could remember the name of them. Um, they're really great. I go down to Venice. I pick up three different color velour, and I and I knew the types that my daughters would like. Like I I got a pullover, extra large black hoodie velour with black matching pants that didn't even. But and Isla was like, whoa, this is perfect for Georgia. I got a uh, a green. Oh, so your daughters loved it. Got Georgia Earth Green, and for Leanne, I got her a gold. She has always said, "Don't buy me silver. Silver washes me out. I'm gold. I'm, I've always worn gold." So I heard that. That's old school memory. So I give her a gold velour track suit, and she looks at it. And she goes, "It's ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life." <laughs> and I go, "Hey, that's not what you say when you get a present. When you get a present, you say thank you." But like you didn't. You said this is the ugliest thing. I said I just spent the whole day in traffic. I'm, I said, I'll never, I'm never buying you a present again. And she went, no, that's not what I'm saying. No, I go, no, no, no. That, this is how that works. When you do something nice for someone and then they shit on it, you don't want to do something nice again. So I said, for in the future, if you want something, by all means, get it for yourself. But you will not catch me spending an hour and a half in traffic on the 405 to get to Venice to get you a present only to be shit on. And she was like, why, why, what was I supposed to say? So was I supposed to just go, Hey, thank thanks. And, yeah, I say you, thank you. It's and great. Then, you lie. Yeah, and then never fucking wear it. Like all the presents you've gotten me. That's what you're supposed to say. And so, <laughs> so I like, I just, I would never be able to predict a place to live for my wife. And I wouldn't try ever, 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 like ever. I said, what about Tampa? Oh, all the women there are stuck up bitches. I'm like, I grew up with them. They're not that bad. She's like, I, I couldn't. I'm not Tampa, Bert. I'm not Tampa. It's, just, it's like Where's she from? she's from fucking Georgia. What about Georgia? What about Alabama? No, I'm not going to go live with all those. Those are all the people that never left. I'm not going there. Georgia, and she's from Georgia. And she would not move back to Georgia in a million fucking years. I'm doing. I'm doing a show in. Uh, she wasn't born in New Hampshire. <laughs> His daughter's name is Georgia. Can you imagine banging a chick named New Hampshire? <laughs> oh, New Hampshire. <laughs> oh, Illinois. <laughs> Cleveland. Illinois. Cleveland. 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 Uh, um, where would you buy a house for Nia if you if you had to? On Monday, evacuate LA, all get new houses. Where oh, would you, you have to get out of, out of door? Gotta get out of here. Oh fuck. Yeah, that's a no winner. I'll start. I'll start very easy. Uh, near a beach? Does it need to be near a beach? Definitely has to be near a coast. Okay. Okay. South uh, or north? East or west? Yeah, can't be a Trump state. Yeah, right. She doesn't need that headache. All those fucking people screaming and yelling at her as she goes walks down the street. <laughs> um, it's not that bad. Huh? It's not that bad. I was just in Arizona, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Oh, yeah? <laughs> was what there. was your black experience when you went there, Bert? <laughs> fucking idiot. Was, it's not that there. bad. I was just in Arizona as a white guy. Right? They treated me fine. No, I was with, a, I was with an Asian family, and, uh, and we pulled up to a beach, and 
We were like, no one's at the beach. This is great. A beach in Arizona? That's an amazing thing. How did you do oh, that? Uh, on Lake, Lake River? Havasu. Lake Havasu. You be we beached our, our tripoon oh. tri up on a beach. And we're sitting there. My daughter's, my buddy's wife is Asian. He's Asian. His daughters are Asian. And then we get Oreoed by two boats with Trump flags on them. And for the first time, I was actually, I mean, and I know that not every Trump supporter is racist, but I know that a lot of racist people also happen to think Trump's got a bunch of good ideas. And so I, all I'm thinking is one, one sideways comment of like, of course, that's why they're, you know, and just something like go back to your own country. I, I'd never been really sensitive, as sensitive as I was until that moment. So I understand that Nia could feel the same way seeing flags like that. But, but all I'll say is the, both those boats were both yeah, very we nice. like being here in L.A. where they pretend they're not racist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not shitting on, you know, it's just, it's just one of the things that I've learned is that there's limited options. And people are not thrilled when you, you know, when you get outside of cities, if you move in and your family looks a certain way. And that's a fucking real thing, man. That is real. And it's it fucking... Is. And everybody Sucks. acts like it isn't, but it is. So, but what are you going to do? That's how people are. Um, I don't know. I, I, uh, there's a lot of places I love though, that I would like, I'm fascinated with the redneck Riviera after I, uh, I, I read this Ken Stabler autobiography. And he had <laughs> Ken Stabler. Bill, I've been wanting to talk to you about Ken Stabler for fucking three weeks. Oh, all right. Let's talk about him. Ken Stabler. Now, the Holy Roller. Dude, I'm obsessed with Ken Stabler, Dodging Dan, Dodging Don, like all those old school scramblers. They, they uh -oh. made this. Uh, uh, Don Meredith. Oh, was he? Was he no, it was Roger the Dodger. That Roger was, the Dodger. I'm sorry, you're right. Roger Staubach. Um, Kenny was the snake. Um, Jim McMahon was, wasn't too much of a scrambler, but he made the game fun. Those quarterbacks, were, I believe, are the predecessor to what we're seeing now with, with black quarterbacks where the game has changed entirely. They were talking about an offense that was established. No, I'll get you the guy. I'll get you the guy right now. I just spaced on his name. Uh, Denver Broncos. Denver Broncos. First black quarterback. There you go. There we go. Marlon Briscoe. That's the guy you want to watch. You watch Marlon Briscoe in the late 60s, you see the NFL today. And yeah, he and was it's fucking great. And they, you know, he was basically the, uh, he was a quarterback in college. He came to the pros. They said, you know, we're going to make you a wide receiver. He said, no, I give me a chance. It's a fucking movie. Somebody's made a documentary about it. So they made him like third or fourth fucking string behind like a punter or something to become quarterback. And as luck would have it, you know, everybody got injured. So they put him in and he had like two or three, 300 yard gains. He was fucking running down the field. He was two minute offense. It was, it was a game. They didn't want the fuck to do with this guy. Yeah. Right. And um, then the next year they drafted some high touted white quarterback, never got an opportunity and then he became a wide receiver. I have his football card from 1972 when he was on the Bills playing wide receiver. 
probably with a young Joe Ferguson, if my memory is right. Um, so Marlon Briscoe was the first guy. That's the guy that showed that really showed the future of uh, the NFL. And you know, they didn't think black quarterbacks were smart enough. They didn't like that they ran around. I mean, even Doug Flutie's career suffered tremendously because they could they they couldn't handle that he ran around. They wanted him to stand in the pocket and he couldn't see and he would roll out. But the guy was a winner. He won in college. He won in the CFL. He came to the NFL, and he won then, too. Ken Stable, the snake. Yeah. Bill, I, I, uh, I'm obsessed. I read the paperback uh, version of that. I'm obsessed with this because there's a part of this, and this is a little bit of a stretch, but where he played like his personality was in real life, you know? Yeah. Like, I love those guys. It's like the Brett Favre's where he, who he was on the field, it, could, it just permeated everything. Well, how about Alabama? They had Joe Namath and then Ken Stabler, like two of the great, greatest quarterbacks of all time and two of like the greatest personalities and fun guys. Did you ever see that, that whole thing on when Joe, Na- Joe Namath had a, uh, a bar? With Mickey Mantle and somebody else, I believe. And they called uh, it yes, yes. Bachelors Three. And there was too many, like, you know, mob guys hanging around. And they were worried about gambling and that type of shit and them getting in their ears that they made him shut it down. And uh, Joe Namath said, well, fuck it then. I'm going to retire. It was this big thing during the off season. Like, he just stuck to his guns. He's like, no, it's not right. This is outside of football. But I totally understand, though, Pete Rozelle was right. He was right because of what happened with baseball in the White Sox in 1919. And it was the White Sox. I hate that they're called the Black Sox because for the longest time, I thought that that was a team that that folded afterwards. (laughs) It's like, no, it's the fucking White Sox. They did that. (laughs) Pete Rose getting to the Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But the thing, he has no one to blame but himself. Yeah. He came clean and he was just had his hat in his hand. I remember when he finally came clean. Yeah, he goes, all right, I gambled on baseball. Now let me in the hall. <laughs> and it's just like, but that guy, um, I met him when he was signing like autographs and stuff. And he was just like so fucking into baseball. He loved it and everything. He just fucked up. He had, he had a, I, but I definitely think he paid the price. I understand why they gave him the death penalty is because that's the number one rule that they say, do not break this. This almost took down baseball early on. Um, you just you can't fucking have it. And they had to make such an, an example of it. And then it also didn't hurt that the commissioner, um, Giamatti, passed away after it. And it was sort of like, it was really fresh, I believe, the suspension. So I think commissioners after were afraid to go back against that because it was the wishes of a dying commissioner who they all respected. Um, so I don't know. But I think at this point, he's paid the price. It would be, I think it would be vindictive of baseball to wait till after he died. They made their point. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think, you know, that you're going back at this point, 30-something years. It was like 1989, 31 years. 
Jesus. As far as I know, nobody's gotten busted doing it again. I think everybody has saw what happened to him. You know, the greatest hitter of all time, and he's, you know, arguably, and uh, he certainly has the stats, but um, now he's got to sit outside like a fucking casino selling autographs. I think people are like, all right, you know, I, I believe in forgiving somebody, you know, Ooh. and then letting them try to put their life back together. Just had a whole conversation about trust, about trust and breaking trust and punishment and reward. I just as a parent, what are we talking about? As a parent, I can't talk about it, but yeah, I had to. Yeah, yeah. Well, then don't, because you yeah. with your loose lips earlier I'm in this fucking horrible, thing. Bill. I've been biting my tongue all fucking day. I had a rough fucking week, Bill. I can tell. Yeah. I just, I just noticed it. I just noticed it. You seem like uh, life kind of kicked your ass this week. Life kicked my ass. I'm, uh, yeah, life, <laughs> life, life, uh, life dealt me one. Where I woke up this morning, going. Literally thought, I don't know if I can do podcasts this week. And, uh, and I got to be honest with you, man. This got my mind off it. And I'm so much happier. So thank you for this episode. Oh, good. Good. No, but you listen. Part of being a husband and a father is at some point you have to give up on the hope of appreciation. <laughs> you have to find the humor... You know what you are? You're basically on a sitcom. You have a living room. You guys all gather in there. You're on a sitcom. You basically created your own sitcom, and you are, you are not the star of the show. No. That's it. <laughs> okay? It's the Sybil Shepherd show mixed with a bunch of Urkels. <laughs> and you're that guy who's going to get written out. Um. It's been a great episode, man. Thank you for doing this. I literally, I was in a shit fucking mood and I, uh, and I, I, I've giggled, you know, people always say like, you know, comedy, like try to take down comedy. And, and I tell you right now, laughter can definitely get your mind off shit. And if it did that for anyone, this episode, I am as appreciative as they are for, for this podcast. Yeah, dude. Hang, hang, hang in there, man. It's going to come around. I guarantee you, your wife feels bad. She's gonna, although, you know, I don't know. I, I'm so fucking jaded. I don't even know if they feel bad as, as much as they can't, she can't handle that you have control right now. Oh, it's, 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 not even, it's not even that bad. It's, you know what it was? It's a combination of a few things. I'll share one thing with you. I posted on Instagram today. Oh, yesterday. Oh, I, I don't want to get you in trouble here, dude. No, 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 no. We had a rough, we had a rough family week with some stuff. And then, uh, at the end of our trip, we found out we had to put down Priscilla. And so we drove home. Is that one of your kids? <laughs> Sorry, I had to go for the joke. It was just easy. No, it's our bull mastiff. And so we put down oh. Priscilla yesterday. And it was been, uh, and so uh, it just, man, it's the first time I've ever done something like that. And, and as a father, look at your kids hurting and, and, then, and then you to hurt. And it just, uh, and, and hey, I literally. Out of curiosity, how old were your kids when you got the dog? Uh, we got the dog nine years ago. Georgia was four. Ala was two and uh, three, four and three. Yeah, see, because, uh, yeah, my daughter wants a dog. Oh, Bill. So I'm sitting there going like, all right, I'll get a dog, but I have to time it out where when it dies, you're going to be able to emotionally handle it. Like, you can't get a bulldog when your kid's one. 
I wish I had thought that far ahead. <laughs> Getting a bull mastiff, they only live 10 years max, right? So we got nine years out of her, which is more than enough. She had five knee surgeries, but uh, yeah, but I know. But I, know. Dog, man. I, I went over that. It was a great dog. What I loved about those big dogs is it thinks it's a small dog and just comes over and just plops down in your lap. That yeah, cool, man. We talked about that yesterday. We talked about when you came over and she, we used to call her Teacup Bull Mastiff because she didn't know she was that big. And she came over, we were doing a podcast and she just sat in your lap. And I go, Priscilla, and you go, no, 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 let her do it. It's fine. I don't mind. And then I got that great picture of you and Priscilla. Yeah, man. It, uh, it was a rough fucking day. It was a really rough day. And, uh, and, but, and I woke up this morning. I was like, I should, I, I gotta, I don't know if I can podcast today. Like, Every, we all have been crying for like 24 hours and then uh and then we started and i felt fucking great and so the, i and i and i really honestly i thought to myself this morning i went this is what podcast and comedy are about is to get your mind off the bad stuff going on in your life and get your head out of your ass and just giggle and i did so thank you all right well now you got me thinking about when i had to give away my dog all right, this is just going to become sick. Look at that, and the light went out. The light went out, Bill. <laughs> the light went out. All right, I think that's it. Well, I'm so sorry about your dog. I hope you guys, you know, get past that, get another one. <laughs> well, next week. Next week, I'm getting a puppy. Fuck this. I don't like bad feelings, Bill. <laughs> yeah, so you got to You got to get that rebound dog. Rebound dog. The dog sitting there going, I think they love me, but there's, there's something weird going on here. They really are familiar with the name Priscilla. Why the fuck do they keep calling me Priscilla? <laughs> yeah, that's how we always did it. A dog died, and like two days later, there was another dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you had 48 hours to cry about it in your bed at night. Just doing that shit. And then, like, yeah, then that, that was fucking... Al was texted it. me. Dude, we had dogs. We give them the same fucking name. <laughs> the second. Mike. Mike the second. Mike the third. And then they were all the exact same breed. You couldn't even keep track of them. It was like that Sam Rockwell movie, Moon, where they just <laughs> they bring another guy in. Uh, all right. Well, sorry about the dog. Sorry to everybody out there if you lost a pet. That's fucking brutal. In a lot of ways, sometimes it's worse than losing a family member, as fucked up as that is. Yeah. Um, all right. That's This has been another episode of The Bill. Bert. <laughs> on. Fast. <laughs>